Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Today's episode of Foundations, which is brought to you by First Light, is all about staging areas and the places bucks go to after the opening week pressure gets to them. Now, a lot of you fine folks out there might be thinking that this is a terrible time of the season to be focused on killing a buck. After all, it's the beginning of October, the lull is hit, and the rut is close enough where waiting just a few weeks seems like a solid plan. Now look, we aren't married, so I don't want to get into a pointless argument with you, but I'll just say this. There are plenty of reasons to hunt right now. This is true for all whitetail hunters, but especially true for those of us who specialize in pressured deer. The very date of this episode's drop, October 5th, is a special one for me. Way back in 1998, as a college freshman, I was chatting with a childhood friend of mine. It was a Monday, and the Vikings were playing a game that evening. He wanted to go home to watch it with his dad, so I bummed a ride from him knowing that instead of watching football, I could head out to the woods and sit. A side note, this strategy of not caring about football, but caring a lot about deer hunting, has treated me really well particularly across the river in Wisconsin when the Packers play. If you want public land to yourself, that scenario will get you there. I promise. Anyway, my buddy Nolan dropped me off and then drove away to go cheer on the purple people eaters with his old man. I suited up to go sit a stand tucked into the bottom of a ravine where the draws splay out into kind of a wooded flat. It's just a natural hub spot. It's almost always good for a deer encounter or two, mornings, evenings, any time of the season. That made it a good choice for an early October sit. Now, up to that moment, I had exactly two button bucks to my credit in six years of bow hunting. So when I saw a mutant five-point headed my way, it was all systems go. The buck, with a 10-inch spike on one side and a turkey claw type of antler on the other side, walked by at 20 yards, and he caught an old aluminum Easton in his spine. When he dropped, I panicked and I shot him in the hip. The third shot actually went where it was supposed to, and I had my first antlered buck. 
it was an ugly performance on my part. It sucked. It taught me a lot, but it also solidified something that already existed pretty deep inside of me. There is no bad time to sit in the woods. As is so often the case with bow hunting milestones, that little buck opened up a world to me where the size eventually ramped up to deer that I would occasionally put on the wall. Several of those earlier decent deer all died in late September or early October. Instead of backing off to wait for the rut, I hunted as hard then as I did on opening week. I didn't know any better and wasn't much for believing general deer advice anyway. Chalk it up to my age or whatever, but I didn't just, I just didn't care. I wanted to hunt and I was seeing and killing deer when you're not supposed to. Today, as primarily a public land bow hunter, I lean into that even harder, but with a lot more strategy. I didn't know it at the time, but that spot where I arrowed my first buck and quite a few after, it's just an amazing staging area. It's a spot covered in cover that allows deer to use the wind and the terrain to their advantage. While they are usually headed through it, they tend to stop there to pick up a few acorns, make a rub, or just browse and kill time. They don't have to poke their noses out into the open, but they can be up moving around during shooting hours, which is what they do in that spot a lot. Over the years, I don't know how many deer my dad and I killed there, but it was a lot. He killed his personal best buck there on Halloween in 1997, and I killed a great 10-pointer there in 2016. That's a pretty big spread in years and conditions and hunting pressure on that farm. But the thing that has stayed consistent is that the deer like to stage there. Now, staging areas really are the key to October bucks. They tend to involve a lot of scouting. Now, if you think back to like the first 12 episodes of this Foundations podcast, I talked a lot about scouting. Too much, according to some listeners who probably couldn't kill a forky if you staked it down and gave them a dozen shots. Anyway, a lot of that scouting that you should have done probably clued you into staging areas or at least where staging areas should or could be. Simply put, staging areas often exist between food and bedding. That's it. This is pretty easy to nail down in ag-heavy regions with limited woodlots, but a lot tougher nut to crack in the big woods, where your average piece of timber might encompass thousands of acres. If you want a shortcut to identifying staging areas, no matter where you hunt, I'm going to give you two. The first I've talked and written about a million times, but here it goes. I call them cluster rubs. Look for rubs that don't really relate to an edge of some sort. It's fun to find rubs on field edges or on logging roads, but the ones that will really benefit the October hunters, they're on ridge tops overlooking food sources or in a ravine bottom surrounded by benchy bluffs. In the big woods, they might relate to a soft edge, but they won't just consist of a rub line. They'll be random-ish looking. What I mean by that is rubs here, rubs there. Some alders absolutely shredded in a half circle. I think a lot of people find these spots and they assume they might be standing in a buck's bedding area. Now that's possible because bucks will get up and they'll make some rubs around their bedding area, but it's also possible that they are just in a staging area. Now the other way to really identify a staging area is to watch deer do what deer do. Any of the seasoned bow hunters out there have probably experienced a very specific kind of encounter with lots of deer. It's the one where you look up and see some deer, does or bucks, doesn't matter, walking or browsing through. They get out of sight and you think, well, that was cool. At least I saw something. Then 45 minutes later, you see movement and you realize those deer never really left your vicinity. They've been there the whole time. 
Then at last light, they all kind of drift off in the same general direction, oftentimes with new deer following suit right at last light. Now, there might be some other reasons besides staging, like a killer acorn drop or some type of soft mass coming on. At that point, I don't really care what's bringing them there, as long as I know they are there and spending a lot of time in the area during shooting hours. Now, I know we've always focused on mature bucks, but if there's one lesson I hope you can take away from this, it's that the movement of every deer, all the deer in the herd, can teach you something. Writing off the travel habits, the staging habits of a forky or a family group of does, it's short-sighted. What deer like to do, other deer will like to do. Count on that. Now, just like with bedding areas and feeding areas, staging areas aren't set in stone. Sometimes they are close because of limited cover, but in an awful lot of places, they'll change by the season according to destination food sources and hunting pressure. I watched the most consistent big wood staging area I've ever found evaporate from one year to the next due, I think, solely to hunting pressure. There might have been some wolves or something else that contributed to it, but it was fast and noticeable and accompanied by a whole bunch of new tree stands in that area. In other situations, one field going from corn to beans in a year could change how deer stage. But the best you can do is work on preseason scouting intel and what your in-season scouting and observations offer you. Combine those two. And it doesn't do you any good to assume a staging area that was hot last year will suddenly cool off this season because it very well might not. If it does, it's time to relocate, but not before you try to figure out why. Ask yourself, is there an obvious change in food sources, or is there a bunch more hunting pressure than there was last year? Are you hunting a staging area with a questionable wind? That's a big one, and it's an action killer. Deer, especially mature bucks, stage in places where they have a huge visual and olfactory advantage. They often set up in places where they can smell their final destination, see quite a bit, and probably hear other deer snorting an alarm at the hunters who are still sitting on the field edges right now. If you slip into a rubbed up chunk of cover that is positioned between a suspected bedding area and a known destination food source, and the wind is blowing the wrong way, it's over, my friends. Instead, hunt somewhere else or stay way back to observe from a safer location. Now, I realize I still haven't really said how to hunt a staging area. So here that goes. When you find a spot where the deer are staging, look to the terrain first. If you've got up and down to your hunting spots, you've got a huge advantage. As I said, bucks love staging on ridges, on knobs, and other places where you can use a drop in terrain to your advantage wind-wise. You can usually get in pretty tight here and kind of play it like you would during the rut where you're looking at it going, they're going to approach from that direction probably and believe the wind is in their favor. But if you've got some kind of nice drop-off behind you, you can play that wind close enough where they're confident, but you can get away with it. This is, this is so important to hunting deer anywhere where you've got some terrain. Now, when it comes to flatter ground, the whole thing gets a lot tougher. Take note of where you saw deer come from, where they went, and then start factoring in the wind. In this situation, I tend to use a creep closer approach if I have the time. And this is one that involves an observation and maybe a move and then an observation and maybe a move type of strategy. Same thing I do on public land in a lot of places just to get on deer in general. Now, if I don't have the time, I just play the wind, cross my fingers, and move in as tight as I think I can get away with. The problem we often make as bow hunters while using sign or sightings 
is that we do get in a little too close to the deer. Now, even a difference of being 50 yards away versus 15 matters. This often allows you to fine-tune your setups, and because of the nature of browsing and hanging out in staging areas, often puts deer in a really good position for you to shoot them. This isn't an exact science, but the more you keep hunting and watching, the more you'll see how to play each specific spot. Now, I should also say, since hunting deer on staging areas is an inexact science, that oftentimes I get close and I just ride a stand out. If, I, if I'm a little cagey about the wind and I think I've got something that's working that lets me see deer, I'm not always looking to move into the spot on the spot because sometimes that doesn't exist. Oak flats are often a great example of this. If you've got several trees dropping on one ridge, there might not be one exact spot to sit where all the deer move through. I've seen this in clear cuts in the big woods as well. The movement sometimes isn't super concentrated to a tight spot and doesn't seem to follow any sort of point A to B pattern. In those situations, get near the edge, play the wind, wait, and watch. It's amazing how many different deer you can see in a few days when you find a spot like that and you don't blow it out. Now, if you're still not convinced you shouldn't hang up your saddle for a few weeks, consider this. If you're a public land hunter, or at least a pressured ground hunter, speculate on what your competition is doing right now. They aren't hunting, probably, or they aren't hunting very hard. Do the opposite of your competition, and you'll succeed on public land, I promise. Now, if you think the deer don't notice the decrease in pressure and react to it, they do. This is one of my favorite times to be a public land hunter, because I know that now, more than almost any other time of the season, I'll be left alone to simply beat the deer. That's no small thing, my friends, and can get even better. If you hunt somewhere where baiting is legal, like I sometimes do, then you'll see a decrease in baiting this time of the season. I noticed this where I hunt in Wisconsin, and I freaking love it. I don't want to bait because it just doesn't do anything for me, but I also hate having to contend with others' bait sites. I know on opening week, there'll be tons of corn and apples dumped into the woods, but that will ebb as the season progresses. As the rut approaches and the gun hunters start getting a jump on their bait piles, the whole thing ramps up and it wreaks havoc on the natural movement that I like to hunt. But the sweet spot is right between. Right when the outdoor TV experts who have never hunted a challenging deer in their lives will tell you that you're better off going golfing than sitting in a stand because the big bucks will all be nocturnal. That's bullshit, my friends. And the easiest way to see if that's true is to go out and keep hunting. But don't sit your field edge stands anymore. Get deeper into the cover where the bucks feel safe. Actually, I take that back. Sit field edges if you want to shoot a doe or are just happy to kill any buck. There are real opportunities there, and it can work out great for you. Early October, while it gives you chances at big bucks if you work hard enough, is also a great time to just go hunt deer. While a lot of hunters will say the best time to shoot antlerless deer and fill the freezers late season, that's a terrible option for most public land hunters. I know it is for me, but early October is a great time to encounter does and younger bucks in some gimme spots. It's also a really pleasant time to be sitting on stand. And if you should get so lucky, have a dead deer to work with. Now, some folks will say you shouldn't kill your does before the rut because that's what the bucks will key on. But I say saving deer when you're on pressure ground is largely a lost cause. It's also not always about killing big bucks and doing everything possible to make that happen. When I hear hunting stories from strangers, which happens a lot, so much of the mistakes, so many of them, that they mention that cost them deer come from inexperience. 
folks with no deer or only a few deer under their belt are going to screw up a lot. It takes real world experience to be able to execute a shot well on a living, breathing deer. This might not seem like much, but think about your chosen state in the season structure. Let's say you get six weeks of bow season to hunt before gun season comes in. Half of that or more will likely be in the dead zone where you're not supposed to hunt and won't be able to kill a big buck. If you take that time off, or most of that time off, you're missing out on a huge portion of the season. Do that for years, and you've given up half of your best huntable time and not racked up any real experience. Do you think the best, most well-known public land big buck killers do that? They don't. You shouldn't either. It's also just fun to hunt knowing the goal is to sit in the pleasant October woods with the standards of procuring some venison and just figuring out some deer stuff. The value of a low standards hunt doesn't come up much in the hunting media, but it should because it's freaking fun. I know I mentioned it last week, but it's still important right now. Ditching the constant trophy hunting mentality to just be a plain old deer hunter is like waking up one day to realize that you finally kicked the flu and you feel safe to eat without the potential of destroying your boxers or horking out your recently nommed on Pop-Tarts. All I'm saying is that this is the time of year gets a bad rap, but it really shouldn't. If you give early October a chance by focusing on staging areas and hunting when others won't, you'll probably see that, surprise, surprise, the deer are still out there doing their thing. They're going to eat. They're going to drink. They're going to walk around. They're going to leave some sign. And quite frankly, eventually, they're going to offer up the hardworking bow hunter a chance to put an arrow through their lungs. Why not let that hunter be you? Plus, as an added bonus to hunting right now, you'll be the first to key in on scrapes and the time period where they really matter, which is the topic of next week's show. That's it for this week, my whitetail-obsessed brothers and sisters. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast. If you want more deer hunting information, visit themeateater.com slash wired to check out my articles, Mark's articles, and a whole bunch of other good articles. Or head on over to our Wired to Hunt YouTube channel and check out all of our how-to videos. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, everybody knows Weber grills. I've been using Weber grills my whole life and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood pellet grill. Now with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill.